0: Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. This is episode 30. I can't even believe it. Uh, what started off as a whim a couple years ago, uh, after listening to some pretty awesome pilots give some amazing talks here in Sun Valley at the PwC, I uh, decided to start a little podcast and look at how it's grown. And uh, thank you all for making it what it is. Thank you for your donations. Uh, thanks to Miles Connolly, who has been helping me edit these. It takes a lot of time and a lot of hours, and uh, but it's totally worth it. And yeah, thank you so much for supporting the show. One little quick bit of housekeeping uh as i mentioned on the last couple we are doing a show where bill belcourt is going to host the podcast Uh, i'm going to go down and visit him right after the holidays right around new year's and uh, bring him your questions so i'm still taking questions on that if you've got a question for the yoda of the sky bill belcourt who is uh, episode one if you haven't caught that one please go back and check it out it was actually just a recording uh, we recorded a, a really a conversation I had with him uh, for when we were making 500 miles to nowhere a few years back down in Salt Lake City so this guy, when he, when Bill opens his mouth, it's just like you just got to lock it deep in your brain and remember what he says. It's uh, He has an amazing way to talk about the sport that we all love. So yeah, send me your questions. I'll fire them off down to Bill, uh, and he will be hosting a future episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. Some of you are probably familiar with Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers, uh, kind of stories of success and how people become really good. And one of the things I love about paragliding is that age doesn't seem to matter too much. The guys that really crush it on the PwC are typically way past their physical prime. Uh, guys in their 50s and late 40s are very often uh, the guys to beat. <clears throat> and that really encourages me because I'm 44 and going into an X alps year, but certainly past my physical prime. And uh, But it's just something I find really encouraging about the sport, that you don't have to be young and uh, super strong to really excel at flying. Uh, however, there are the outliers, and this this conversation with Mickey Siegel is one of those. Uh, Mickey started flying when he was uh, 13, I believe, or maybe even younger, and uh, has been chasing it hard. Uh, I first met Mickey here at the PwC in 2012, where he got fourth, I think he was 24 at the time. Um, just a phenomenal pilot, he's a test pilot for gin, we talked quite a bit about that. Talk about what happened with the gin factory last year, uh, the new CCC rules and what that's going to be doing for the development of wings. How valuable mentors are in the sport, uh, choosing the right wing for the task. Um, All kinds of really terrific things. I talk a lot about the Swiss League, something I wish we had an equivalent of here in the States. Um, They just produce incredible pilot after incredible pilot, mostly because they're flying with some of the best pilots in the world on a regular basis. So uh, we talk about a lot of the things that make a pilot great, and uh, Mickey is certainly one of those. So uh, I think you're going to enjoy this. Without further ado, Please enjoy this conversation with Michael, a.k.a. Mickey Siegel. All the wildest, Mickey, this is uh, awesome to have you on the show, man. It's, uh, it's really cool to connect with you here. I think it's been uh, almost a year since I saw you in person. I'd rather do this in person, but uh, we are on opposite sides of the planet. Where are you and what are you doing?
1: Yeah, hello, and um, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I'm currently in Korea for uh, testing new paragliders. So, um, yeah, it's really around the world.
0: <laughs> you guys got a, a new wing coming out or can you not even tell me?
1: Uh, yeah, partly I can tell you um, we're working on the Boomerang 11 for the for the next Super Final, but also um, the most important actually is the Explorer. It's a lightweight, high ENB glider that we will bring out uh, within this
0: year. Ah, oh, very cool. So- Will that be kind yeah. of you're kind of like hike and fly? Does gin? You know, I'm not super familiar with gin product, but is that kind of your going to be your your uh, you know middle range hike and fly glider?
1: Exactly, exactly. So um, we already have the the Cheetio that uh, people were flying in the in the during the XOPs mm-hmm. and we have the Yeti, which is a, a ENA glider which is quite light, but, uh, we missed something in between. And that's why we, uh, thought that, uh, this glider will, um, uh, will be perfect. It's, uh, um, it's called explore and that's exactly what it's, what it's meant to be for traveling because it's light, but also you, you just go and explore new things, new, new, new places where you've never been before.
0: And w- will this kind of be similar, um, performance, uh, as the, like the Carrera is that kind of what it mimics?
1: Exactly. So um we started we started quite early with this project and we started with the Carrera and now we made I don't know how many prototypes, six, seven more prototypes with different profiles and uh line arrangements and trimmings and now it's a completely different glider, but um yeah performance is pretty much the same like Carrera, maybe a little bit better.
0: Okay. Yeah, because uh the the I get up close and personal with the Carrera with Will Gadd on the Rockies Traverse. I don't know if you ever got to see that film, but of course, uh, yeah. you know, he was on the, on the Carrera and it's it's quite a lovely glider. Um, I want to ask you some more stuff about Jin. So what's your, you know, I, I know you've been a, a pilot for them for, for a long time, but tell me a little bit about that, about that history. Uh, we'll get into your personal history too, but uh, you know, like I know Jin just had to close up shop and, and, and reopen in reopening a new place. Has that transition taken place? And and how much time do you spend out there?
1: Last year was was really a difficult one. We uh we used to produce in two places. One was in China, and the other one was in North Korea. The idea started, with, uh, to produce in North Korea started maybe. 10 years ago and it, it was actually not because uh because a price or because of something like this it was more because everybody had hoped to reunion um the north and the south of korea again this was the original idea but of course for us it was also excellent um when the gliders left the factory it took three hours to get them here yeah. to the office so we could eat easily finish a glider in the morning, send the files there, and as soon as the glider was ready, it we could fly it. So it we don't have to send it by airplane or something like this. It was it was just perfect. Then all of they they closed the factory from one day to the other. So we lost um all the material. We lost all the machines. And we never will get this back probably. So this wow. is um Right now, we think um, it's just closed and it will never open again. That that was a huge problem for us and um, not only for Chinglish, but for many Korean companies. They they lost everything because some of them were producing only in North Korea and they yeah they they're gone now. So we were quite lucky. We had another facility in China, but there we were mainly producing for other companies like Skywalk and so on. Mm -hmm. So we could get them to other places and now we produce only jingliders in in this uh in this factory in china
0: did you ever did you ever visit the other factory or did you ever get to go to north korea
1: i always wanted to but it it wasn't possible because i usually or or until this year i stayed here only 2 or 3 weeks in a row and there was no time so I, I wanted to go there. Thorsen was there, and he said it's it, it's the the factory itself was nice because it was built by chingliders, but to go there and uh, the the controls you get to to you have to you have to give your your cell phone. There are no cameras and so on and so on. Or if you have, they check what you make. So yeah it sounded sounded pretty special.
0: <laughs> yeah that that must be that must be wild. Um yeah. what is your what is your role there? What, and and give me a little brief about what Torsten does as well. Are you are you a test pilot for Gin or are you how does how does that all work?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I first I got in as a test pilot. And, um, I, I did mainly, mainly the competition gliders, like the boomerang series, or, um, sometimes also a little bit of tandem or GTO, but, uh, and because I was studying and this, this last year I finished university and, um, I was looking for a job and then gliders said, Hey, uh, why don't you start to work for us? And now I, I'm working for them in as a test pilot, like part of the R&D, but also in the marketing and sales. Is that, what was your degree? Is your degree engineering? Uh, not at all. It's uh, geogra- I study geography and sports. So okay. it's something
0: completely different. <laughs> so the marketing side, maybe more so. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. So I will get into
1: it more and more, I think.
0: So this is this is now your your work. Is it, it, it competitions, obviously, still, and, and but but also R and D for for gin.
1: Yes, so I help. Um, I help with the development of of the new products, like like um, like for for now the, the Explorer or Boomerang Eleven, but also with the harnesses. Quite a big part of my job is the the communication with the dealers. Of course, in Europe because I'm based in Europe. When they have questions, when they have problems or so, they they usually they get out to me and I, I try to communicate with them and find a solution for their problems.
0: Okay, okay. So let's. Uh, <laughs> if I if any of this is wrong, let me know. I just was reading up on you. Obviously, getting ready to to talk to you. And you're 29, is that right? 29 30. Okay yep. and you you started flying in 2003 and you know from from looking at your results it wasn't long after that that you were starting to shred uh on you know in the Swiss league which is about as hard as it gets other than the pwc maybe and some of these kind of things so t- rewind the clock for me a little bit what was the impetus what got you into flying and then how did you get so good so fast <laughs>
1: Yeah my parents got a. They had a paragliding school, so ever since I I was on the takeoff in a landing field and so on and so. Um, I was all, almost forced to start paragliding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Perfect. That makes <laughs> yeah, it easy. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I I I think that that would be a hard time for my dad if I wouldn't have started paragliding, and for me it was was quite nice. So um, yeah I. I did a lot of flights because uh they were for free. The material was for free, so uh, th- this was awesome. Mm. So the support I got from my parents was was crazy. And um yeah, also the problem was uh I started with 15 but I I was not allowed to make the exam be, before 16. So actually it was all under supervision of my of my dad or another teacher. But already there, I made like six-hour flights, something like this, uh, all around the valley in Kandersteg. So, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was quite cool.
0: That's really uh, cool.
1: Then soon after, I changed the gliders from I, – I started with ENB gliders and then EN – I think even in school, I went to EN, ENC. And soon after, EN. D like um and I got to to the advanced team. And they supported me with the first glider I got was the omega six. Of and this Perth. is still you're still in your
0: teens? You're at 19, 20 now? No, 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 I think I was um that was sixteen or 17. Oh wow, you're really young. Okay, okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So they got me in this team and it was uh well I still had to pay for the glider, but it was it was not very much. So, uh, and then with the team, it was just, this was awesome because there were, um I'd, maybe you remember Stefan Schmocker? Yeah, of course. Um, he was one of my best friends and we were in the same team and with Kregel, Kregel, it was perfect. I mean, he is such a nice guy. And with those two, I, I had so much fun and then we always push. So Krigel was for sure the best, but we tried to reach him. And I think that was really what, what, what got us better and better.
0: Hmm. I want to know more about the Swiss league because it's, I I was, you know, remember I wasn't too long ago. I was trying to fly with you in the Swiss league and I I didn't have a wing or something. You were going to lend me an ice beaker. something. I was going to go fly, but, but, um, you know, I've kind of followed it. This is something that, you know, we just don't have. There's a league out in California. Um, but it's not very serious. It's really more (laughs) recreational and for fun. Um, when I look at your the Swiss league, there's the, and it, because I don't speak German, I don't know exactly, but there's like the, a, a group and the A plus group. And, the, you know, and, and every, the names on there are just, you know, they they are the names really in, in paragliding. Is this, I mean, can you uh, place a lot of the success with the Swiss pilots on your training regimen? Is that, you know, is that what's creating so many good Swiss pilots? Is it the league?
1: Yeah. Also, yeah. I th- I think that's part of that's part of our success, but I think it's not only that. It's just like I, the problem is I cannot tell you why someone is ex- successful. I mean, now it's the more Swiss are quite bad at the moment, uh, and the French are much better, but I cannot tell you why it's like this or why some Swiss pilots are very good. Sometimes it's like Krickle is obviously very good, but um, he's also flying every day. But on the other hand, Stefan Morgenthaler, who is also a really good pilot, or Stefan Wies, they they fly their competition gliders only competition. Mm. And Stefan Wies never joins the Swiss, uh, is never on a Swiss League Cup. So these uh, frequent competitions we have because he's always working as a tandem pilot. Mm. So I cannot tell you why, but for sure, the Swiss League is good for the young pilots. So we take them there. It's like a training. We help them quite a lot and we try to do it's like a small family so the youngsters
0: coming and we take care of them and what, and what is it define what that means by taking care of them does that mean there's money available to them or you know kind of travel expenses or is it more just a mentor program
1: it's a little bit of of everything so okay. um they if for example if their students they get the first year they get all the um, I think most of the competitions paid, and later it's, it depends on on your qualifications. So the best five pilots they get mostly paid. Like when I go to to a World Cup, I get paid a little bit of this. But also for the youngsters, they they also get paid a little bit. But in addition, we have um, we support them at the at the competition, so we help them to to. With task briefings, debriefings, uh, and also, I mean, sometimes you have to put in uh, turn points to to help them how to put them in and deal with their GPS.
0: Mm, okay, okay, I got gotcha. you. So you mentioned Stefan Weis, who's you know an incredible. I mean, he has so many incredible results. Is it? Could you? As a Swiss pilot, could you make a living? Like if you didn't have the job with gin, could you make a living just off competitions or no? It, it's not that much support.
1: Oh, no, no, no okay. way. Sometimes it pays the cost for the travel. But only like when, when I'm going to, to Brazil, it pays the cost for the flight. Okay. So that's it.
0: So even somebody like Kriegel has other responsibilities, other other means to make money. He's not doing it just from paragliding. Um, well, no, I, I guess I, he could I, be doing I, it through guiding and tandems and
1: what's t- exactly that, okay. that's how he does so he, he has um, quite I think he has quite uh, nice sponsors but just because of the money from from the Swiss league or, or this will not work in for him
0: Changing gears here a little bit only because I know your hometown, which uh, the Swiss Alps are all of all of them are magnificent. But you live in kandestag and if I have screwed up the pronunciation there, I apologize in advance. But it's just <laughs> unbelievable. It's just like waterfall heaven, gorgeous, uh, just uh, south of 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 uh, Interlaken. What a spectacular place! Is that your favorite place to fly, or, or where is your favorite place to fly? I cannot tell. I, it's Sun Valley. Ah. <laughs> where 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 you got fourth, you took it to the Americans even on our home turf. Congratulations. We, that yeah, that was uh that was my first PWC. That was a, yeah, that was uh yeah, this is a pretty amazing spot, isn't it?
1: Uh, yeah, it's awesome. But um to be to be honest, I don't have a uh, like like the flying spot, but because there's so many nice places but it's it's all different i mean brazil is awesome when you go uh, to colombia it's amazing flying mm. but kanzesteck is really really nice and it's it's just something special and I, even if i fly there every day when i when i'm at home it's it every day is different uh, and it's you, you can do easy soaring in the evening for 2 or 3 hours with uh, yeah as a as, as a as a as a beginner with 10 flights or you can go in the in the most wild lee side you can ever imagine there <laughs> and it, it's just offers so so great flying i think that's part of the why i got good 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 at paragliding is because it's wild so you you have to control your glide quite well mm and yeah as you said the the landscape is spectacular it's just you you go out and uh, it's just just nice
0: i think i think what you said there that one of the reasons you got good fast is because of that, that area. It really, that does really make sense to me because it's, you know, you're, you're in the big Alps and it's, and it's radical, isn't it? I mean, there's, there's a lot going on there. It's very complicated. You're just one ridge over from the Valais, and you're very close to the Grimsel and, and uh yeah, there's, I mean, there's, it's a complicated area to fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So it, it's it's nice. On the other hand, it's important to learn with the, with the valley breezes and the wind systems and so on. But um, this year, we had the World Cup in Saint-André in southern France, and there I was completely lost. So for me, it wasn't working at all because there, with the valley winds, it was not working the, the way I expected. So the the French, they went on places. I said, no way it's going to work there. I went where I thought the thermals will be and then. There was nothing but lease, side. So it's interesting. For me, it works quite well, the flying in, in Switzerland, of course, but also Austria, Italy. But um, yeah, sometimes it's also not working and then I'm lost a little bit. So, it, of course, I got good because of that, but also sometimes I get it's like a trap.
0: Do you, tell me about your personal flying. Do you, is most, you, you, like you said, Stefan mostly just flies competition because he works the rest of the time. Do you, how do you split your time? How much is spent just free flying versus comps? Um, you know, do you chase huge distances? Are you, are you, you know, are you somebody that like tries, tries to chase records down in Brazil or, you know, I don't know much about your personal flying.
1: It's a little bit of all. So I started, I started to do more and more, uh, hike and fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is great because uh, you do something for yourself, and then you have an awesome flight. So I like this quite a lot, especially in, in autumn, when there, are, when in Europe the thermals in autumn are usually in the in the higher mountains. So you there are no cable cars, so you have to walk up, and this is just great. Mm. But I I like to do everything. So in Switzerland, it depends how much I work or how much I've been flying. So if I've been testing now two weeks in or three weeks in Korea and have been flying every day, then I, when I get home, I, I don't fly at all. Then I go biking or skiing or snowboarding or whatever. But if the if the weather is good, we we, we try to we try to make big distances in Fjell or Nisen or wherever. I love it.
0: Mm. Do you um? What is your longest flight?
1: Mm. Yeah, that's a pity. Last year we went for, uh, we tried to break the, or not break, but make the first 300 FI triangle in in Switzerland. Mm. And yeah, we went from, we started in Fiesch, went up to the Grimsel and back down to Chamonix. Yep. Oh, I remember um,
0: those flights. That was awesome. That's right. I, I, I saw that on X contest. That was gorgeous.
1: Yeah, it was great, but then I made a or I th- yeah it was quite of a mistake. So I couldn't push enough to the north because this is not working well in the north. You mean to go tag uh, to go
0: tag up in, in the SAS?
1: Yeah, the problem was there. There is um in summer there is always the north north wind coming in. I made a mistake and I I was washed down, so I had to I was forced to go back to the to the valleys. While well, Küfer and um, Jan Stern, they they continue to push north. And I made I made a mistake there, and um, yeah, I couldn't go there.
0: Hmm. Yeah, Jan Jan Steeren is uh, somebody I've been watching for years in that neck of the woods. He does some really terrific, terrific triangles, doesn't he?
1: Yeah. So then um, I went back to the valleys, and in, from this point where I turned, I was sure uh, I will not make the 300 because I was calculating, and in the end, I missed five five, five kilometers. <laughs> Ooh,
0: that's still a monster though. Well, uh, congratulations. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah. it was like, you know, this flight you land and, and everybody says, oh, that was an amazing flight. And you are,
0: uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not so happy. <laughs> <laughs> the dangers of chasing numbers, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> a couple years ago, that would have been like, oh my God, that was an epic. Uh, Mickey, if uh, you... If you have if, if accidents or like have you had any kind of scary situations or accidents that have ever uh plagued you or come about in your in your career since two thousand three that have kinda like I don't know, have they set you back or have they been if they've been well let's if you had any, let's start with there.
1: Yeah. Um, personally no. I never had any big accident. Well, I hurt my finger or my, my uh my foot or something like this, but um I I didn't have any big accidents so far luckily. <laughs> so I'm I'm a happy guy.
0: <laughs> right, good. And and what about um I remember you know you and I were part of a, a a very bad accident with a very good friend of yours in Mexico. Have any of those kind of situations ever impacted your own flying?
1: Uh, yeah, this this uh did influence me quite a lot. Mexico, Mexico is quite a bad place for me because um in 2009 I think that was my my best friend die, died there uh during the world uh, world. This was crazy because we we used to fly quite a lot together and as he was a really good pilot, so you question yourself why did this happen or I'm sure this can also happen to me and yeah this was really a setback and then when was we were in mexico for my first world cup i was in mexico um there was a during the training day that um rafa rafa mm-hmm. lucas um had his crash on the um, on the training day and i i landed there and he was already dead and i had to wait there for i think two hours until the until the rescue team came and yeah, this was also a very nice situation. So, um, this was also quite tough for
0: me. Yeah. When you say it was quite tough for you, like, I mean, obviously that kind of accidents, that kind of thing are really tough. Are you much, are you more mindful of the risk after these kind of things? Or are you more careful or, uh, is it something you kind of just, you mourn and then you move on?
1: Yeah, it's, it's difficult. So I remember, for example, in Mexico, the first, uh, first day later was a rest day because, yeah, he died. So we said, let's stop. Mm-hmm. And then on the first day after, I, I went to land really early. So I just didn't feel well in the air and I, I thought, oh no, it's too bumpy and, and I hate it. Yeah, it's, it's this, even though I know it's, um, well, it may happen to everyone, but, it's like oh no I I take it slowly from now on <laughs> mm. but after a while I start to push again sure do you
0: do you think there's kind of a different setting that that pilots at your level have, you know, in other words, what I'm trying to get at is like, you know, to get to that level where you're, you know, kind of frequently top 10 in, in the world, is it, is it, is it a different approach to risk? Is it a different approach to training? Is it talent? Uh, obviously all these things play a factor, but I think with you, you know, you're, you're in the midst uh, all the time of, of some really, really good pilots being involved with the Swiss league and just, just being in Switzerland, just being where you, where you live. Are there some, are there some factors there you think that could be, Uh, you know, for our audience, some factors there that you've, you've kind of pointed out that you, you can share uh, with the audience about kind of what is, is it a personality type? Like, for example, when I was, I think day two of the X-Alps, I was hiking down off the, uh, not, sorry, it wasn't the Laramuse, which one was Ash Out Turnpoint with like Mm Duragati and Michael Vichy. And I was having a really great conversation with Michael Vichy about uh, you know that he's an engineer, and I, you yeah. know, we find a lot of pilots, a lot of really good pilots that are engineers, and that's always kind of fascinated me. Uh huh.
1: Um, I, to be honest, I have no idea. The thing is, for example, in Switzerland, is high educated people. Like mm-hmm. um, uh, Stefan Wies is a biologist, but there are so or, or uh, Michael Vici, engineer, Adrian Hagen, also engineer, and so on and so on. But there are also quite a lot of pilots like, um, like Krikel Maurer, they didn't go to, to a higher school or his brother either. So it's, it's also, it doesn't mean that you have to have a good education. For example, it also can, could be the diff, uh, the other side that they, the others have more time to fly. Mm. So what I see is, at least in Switzerland, the pilots that are good now in some period of their life they had a lot of time to fly so they could tra- train a lot they could fly a lot that they get a lot of experience to know uh, how thermos work how to climb well and and to see where to go so I think that helps quite a lot yeah. and it's same in Switzerland, there are big parallels between cross-country flying and World Cup flying. So, if you're good in in cross-country, you're usually also good in in World Cup because you you know how to choose the lines. And on the other hand, if you're good in World Cup, then you know how to fly fast, uh, and that helps you to go for bigger distances.
0: One of the uh, one of the questions that I get quite frequently that comes through is when people are just discovering competition and maybe not at the world cup level, but they're just discovering, you know, like they're going to the Monarchas and that kind of thing, or maybe league events. And they're, they're able to hang onto the league gaggle for, you know, one or two climbs or three climbs or maybe four climbs. Mm-hmm. And then they inevitably, they lose them and they, and they can't reel them back in. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so the, the terminology I got in the question was, you know, how do you go from kind of an also ran to top 10? Is that, is that simply a matter of hours or is that uh, you know, when, in your own development from 2003 and you kind of kept coming up, you know, looking at your results on the Swiss league page, you know, there was Mm -hmm. obviously there was, you know, some great results, but then some really great results. Like there was almost kind of an aha moment. It seemed like about 2009, I think you won Swiss league three years in a row. Was there, Mm -hmm. was there something you really put together there or was that just literally a matter of flying 300 hours a year or whatever you're doing? And,
1: uh, I think then um, to win something, it's it's a combination of a bit of everything actually. So it's your mental strength. So you your 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 mind is in a good setting. So you know I'm in a good mood. I know I'm I I, I fly very good and I can beat the others. Mm. That that's that's one part. So you have to believe in yourself, and then it, I think it works better than if you think ah. Uh, today I'm not in a good mood and ah, conditions are not very nice to fly today. And if you say, ah, looks quite okay. Let's see if I, I have to get the best out of these conditions and beat the others. And that helps a lot.
0: So you're saying confidence.
1: Yes, exactly. You yeah. need a lot of self-confidence. Sure. And the other is the material. So I I saw for for me, it's, it's quite helpful if you – Well, if you have not the best material, you have to fly better than the others to keep up. And as soon as you then change the material to to a material that is the same or even better, then you you will win. So that happened to me after I changed from um, Boomerang 7 to Boomerang 8 prototypes. Okay. So that was the first time I won in Colombia, the World Cup. And then when I changed from Boomerang X to Boomerang Nine, it happened again. Mm. So that, that was really this, these things. So, um, you, you have to have good, good material. Otherwise, you can, we will almost have no chance to win the the, uh, competition because in World Cup now, everybody has a good glider. So if you, if your glider is slightly less good than the others, it's, it's hard to win. And, the last thing you need to have is luck
0: yeah sure <laughs> so
1: it's it's so crazy when you when you fly and you just miss a thermal or or you know that the other one that wins the competition he just turned to to the left side and you turn to the right side he, he gotta climb out and you bumped out i i think it's just
0: luck <laughs> um do you train acro as well uh a little bit yeah
1: yes um yeah um the problem is i don't have enough time <laughs> right but i i like it a lot so when i'm in switzerland we go a lot to uh, lauterbrunnen it's near the sure it's in the jungfrau region it's a really cool place to do acro
0: yeah, beautiful. Yep. That's a stunning place where everybody's hopping off the walls, uh, wingsuit base jumping all day long. It's a, it's yeah, it, a, it's, a cool it's crazy spot. what's going on
1: there. Yeah, yeah uh, it's
0: a wild spot. I want to rewind a little bit, Mickey, because I kind of glossed over this because I wanted to get to my questions. But you actually said a couple of things early on that uh, that uh, I'm curious about. You're in Korea right now. It sounds like you're flying a lot. What's the flying like there? I, I don't know much about the flying in Korea. It's special <laughs> okay <laughs> that sounds interesting
1: <laughs> yeah it's um it's an interesting place to fly and and also to live it's it's special also the the climate here is quite continental the, the thing is it's so close to china and we it, it's usually it's west wind so in that means in wintertime as i said to you before it, it's getting really cold so from december to let's say, March or April, it's it's freezing cold, means usually 0 to minus 10, 20 degrees. But still, then the thermals are working good. But you can imagine, that I, I remember the first time I was here in wintertime and Jin gave me, it was a Carrera prototype. I took off in strong wind and it got even stronger. And you're there, hanging there, It you're the moment you take off your f- your cold, <laughs> right. and then it's just freezing cold, it's bumpy, and I was just climbing, 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 and I was desperately I wanted desperately to go down, but <laughs> it wasn't possible. so as soon as I started the spiral, my face hurt so much I could <laughs> so I had to stop the spiral, and yeah, that's it. I was hanging there for half an hour at least trying to go down, and in the end, I just put my arms together, pushed the speed bar, and hoped for the
0: best. <laughs> <laughs> With Jin probably laughing on the ground the whole, the whole way. Welcome to Korea. <laughs> yes,
1: so uh, actually, yeah, he, he was standing in the landing, in the car, in the heated car, and um, <laughs> when, when I landed, he came to me and, hey, Michael, how is the glider? I said, here is your glider. I want to get in the car, and don't ask me ever again if I come back <laughs> in wintertime. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that's a that's a great lead into my my other question. We kind of glossed over this, but I imagine, and, and we did because I I I know what a test pilot is, but I imagine a lot of our audience doesn't. What what is what does that mean being a test pilot for gin? And uh, you know, what does it involve? Does that just mean you're a guinea pig, or uh, t- tell us more about what it means to be a test pilot?
1: Yeah, I I think it's it's similar to in for gin or ozone or advanced, I think that's quite the same. So um probably the, the we work a little bit different, but um it's I guess it's basically the same. Sometimes it's a tough job, sometimes it's a re- really nice job because um we go to fly uh every good good day. So this is awesome. I mean we can do our hobby as a job. The thing is you 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 are also involved in the R and D so that means in in the concept. So you say Um, I would like to have the glider like this and this. So um, let's say now we're working also on a new C-class. So Jin asks us, how would you like to have the C-class? And then we talk about aspect ratio. We talk about line concepts. How we'd like to have the diagonals. And um, so then he's designing a glider. He makes the profiles and we get the glider. We pull up first in the landing to see if everything is correct, then go up to the mountain and then it's all about flying, trimming, you top land, you trim again, you fly, you compare uh, you change the glider as soon as as you you like the handling of a glider, you start also to do the maneuvers because um, this is quite important. I'm not a very brave person, so I start to do very slow with the maneuvers, so I try first I try. Sp- Dream speed, collapses. Depends also on the glider class. I mean with E and A, B, and sometimes also with C gliders, I'm okay to do over ground the maneuvers. Um when I know the glider. Mm. So even last last year I think I certified the the GTO to extra small over ground because the the collapses are reliable. So I can pull full i could push full speed i collapse and i see i push i pull a little bit and i get like 60 percent collapse i push speed bar again i pull same it's same collapse this i like quite a lot because it it's reliable um what i hate is sometimes with the competition glider you pull and you get 30 percent collapse you pull again and you get 80 percent and this you can because of this you can get in really nasty situations mm. so um yeah the reliable gliders i'm happy also to test over ground but it's always like mm, take care of what you do and and so on because even on a on a en a or b prototype
0: when you pull too much you can get in nasty situations sure um i imagine that's that's probably making you a quite a bit better pilot to to you know to uh to make bad things happen, especially the comp level gliders, you know, which I think we're all a little, little hesitant to do these days. Um, I imagine that's you know, doing a couple of things. One, it's building a lot of respect for not letting that ever happen in a real world situation, but it's also probably giving you quite a bit of confidence that if it does, you've seen it before.
1: Yeah, yeah this is for sure. I mean, um, for me, the, <laughs> it was quite fun because the – I test. I started to test the maneuvers in general with the boomerang nine small size, uh, with a boomerang nine, and um, this was a nasty glider.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, um, yeah, th- I had some situations I never thought I can handle them at all. So, like, so many twists, cravat, like, like hell, and I, I never went into the water. And of course, I, I I built some confidence with that, but on the other side, you know what happens. Mm. So it's also also like oh yeah, and then when you have a, a big harness, um, like a cocoon harness with a lot of ballast, and then you you will have uh, your turning behavior in the harness will be completely different. So you think, yeah, if this will happen in a normal harness, I will not be able to control at all. So. Um, of course, I, I, I know I can handle it quite well if, if something happens, but you also know that uh, sometimes it's just not going the way you'd like. <laughs> wow.
0: I imagine um, maybe it, it sounds like, and I don't pay a ton of attention to this stuff, so I can't speak with any authority about this because I'm not a rules guy and I don't really understand you know, how gliders are, are built. But I, imagine, I understand with the new um, CCC rules that it's going to – encourage maybe more brands to make comp gliders because for the last few years really it's just been gin and and Niviac and Ozone. So so that's that has to be a good thing. But I imagine also that I imagine there's a lot of pressure on you guys uh at the at the comp end of things, not not so much on the lower level wings because people I think are, you know, get pretty brand oriented and, and they're loyal, but at, at the comp level, scene, what we saw a couple years ago, and you're more familiar with this than I am, because I'm, I'm pretty new to the comp scene, but you know, the Enzo two came out and Nivea lost all their pilots and you guys lost a ton and everybody's flying, you know, the Enzo two. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, so I imagine there's, you know, is there, is there quite a bit of, I don't know, is there quite a bit of stress on you guys to, uh, to, to build a glider because like you said it, if it's a two or three percent difference you know it's pretty hard to win
1: yeah 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 there, there is quite a lot of pressure on that um, this for sure and also I think this is why other brands don't bring out their gliders it's the problem is not only um, it's not only that you have to be able to 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 produce or to make a design a glider that has enough performance it's also that uh, it's it's really a lot of money we put into this, yeah. and smaller brands are just not able to do this. And you have to be sure that it's at least as good as Sensor Two, because if it's not, then why should they buy it? Sure. And um, yeah, th- there is quite a lot of pressure, but for for us, it's it's still okay. I think Niveyuk is in a uh, in a worse situation uh, in a worse situation than VR because we are almost same with the boomerang boomerang 10 it was okay to fly Mm. sometimes we were even better i mean in in strong conditions and also when we had good final glides which means we we arrived high enough we we were faster so this was also nice but um yeah it's getting tough Ozone is pushing quite a lot and uh, it's not easy to keep up, especially because you cannot only focus on on competition wings. I mean, you don't you don't get money with competition gliders. It's just for for prestige and also for the R&D. But you 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 make the money with ENB ENC gliders uh, and not with not with uh, not with the comp gliders.
0: So the argument that, that I hear a lot is that, you know, that if you're building comp wings, you know, so Ozone, U, um, you know, then that technology, and because you're putting so much money and effort and energy into these really, you know, amazing ships, that that gets passed on down through the brand, you know, all the way down to the, the teaching gliders. But then you see companies like uh, Nova, you know, just killing it with their, you know, with their mentor and, um, and, and other companies that they don't even try with the, with the comp level end of things. And they seem to be building really good B's and C's. What's the incentive for Jen and, and Russ, and is it, is it just what you said, just prestige or do, do you believe companies really do have to go into the comp end of things to build really great lower level gliders?
1: Yeah, it's it's a diffi- This is a really difficult question. <laughs> I also ask myself if if um, if it's good that we put so much energy into this. However, I have to say it's um, the competition gliders are. Now we're working. Of, of course, now we work on on the competition gliders, but it's maybe ten percent of our work. For sure, for us, it's um, I think when we saw what what happened with the technology most of it came from from competition gliders with the rigid fall with the shark nose then with the three cell blocks four cell blocks four liner three liner two liner so all all of this came from 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 brands like basically from advanced where they were good in competition from ozone or chin so this this is something the others they uh they follow later uh, and they're making it good also for the uh B and C or A gliders. But it's it's the, the other brands who, who developed it and the others just taking it. So I think it's it's good that there are still some brands doing the competition gliders.
0: Hmm. I heard uh... This, this summer there were some really big flights going down uh down in Wyoming and, and Utah and you know, Bill Belcourt and Nick Grease and some of those guys were, mm-hmm. were pushing really hard. Uh and uh Bill and I think Chris Golly and and uh Matt Dadham, they had a day where <clears throat> they went really big over the back of the Wasatch, heading out towards Colorado and uh they were all pretty much together for most of the day. Uh, you know, on purpose. And, uh, you know, they weren't racing. Mm-hmm. They were just, they were just trying to go big. And the very end of the day, the day's kind of dying. Uh, Matt Daddum was on an Alpina, and the other two, I believe were on Enzo twos. And, uh, and because he was just on a, on a wing that didn't have glide, uh, you know, he, he went down kind of a no man's land and, and had to, you know, cause it was like this really low angle. They had just made it over this peak had this really low yeah. angle glide where he just couldn't couldn't do it. The other two glided all the way out to the road, or close to the road, and then and then Matt had this terrifically bad retrieve. And you know, a couple of weeks later, Bill was up here flying with us, and uh, and he was talking about, um, you know, that if you have the hours, if you have the time, if you have the skill, you know, ninety five percent of the time, you need the performance. And only 5% of the time, you need the passive safety. Obviously, competition-level wings don't have a lot of passive safety at all. Um, but I've always made this argument that, you know, when I'm flying big lines here or, you know, like when I was up in Alaska, that kind of thing, like I I feel more safe on my, say, an example would be like an Ice Peak 6, you know, a really kind of bomb-proof mm-hmm. uh, two-liner-ish wing. Um, And and I'm not recommending this to the listeners that this is what they need to jump onto. That's not what I'm trying to get to here. What I'm trying to say is that, you know, depending on where you fly and you fly big lines in big mountains that are very complicated around your home in Kendestag. Do you also feel that way that do you, would you rather be flying on a, on a, on a wing that has, you know, incredible bar performance, really fast place that you can get out of with a lot of wind? Um, yes, it doesn't have the passive safety, but you've got the hours, you've got the experience. Uh, do you feel, would you feel more safe on that? Or would you feel more safe on a Carrera?
1: <sighs> Tough question. Um, it, I. For me, I, I choose the. I will would like to choose the glider from. Uh, for what I for what my goal is. Mm. So that means if I, for example, if I take off in Fiesch or somewhere in Switzerland, and I want to fly a big distance, so then I need the. I need the best glider available. So it means the most performance because um, at the end of the day, for example, if I take a Carrera and. Let's say I make a really good flight. I take the motor out of it, and I get two hundred fifty. Then I'm okay, I mean it's a really nice flight. it's also big distance, but then I question myself how far could I have been flying? Could I have been gone with uh, with the boomerang, for example, So as I go for not for numbers, but I want to go the best possible, I would like also to have the best possible gliders in this situation. But if if I am, for example, uh, go to, like, say, Pakistan or or somewhere there, I, I would lo- rather have a Carrera mm. because it's just too – it's risky. It's also, yeah, when you get into lee side or when you have a landing and you need – with the comp gliders, you need a lot of ballast and, and things like that, so the stalls. and It's not only that – I think I feel same safe on – on a carrera than i feel on a boomerang in the air hmm. so I, I i don't feel i don't feel that i have more safety when i when i fly in bumpy conditions or on a on a lower EN glider but i know that when i when it comes to to the landing or when i have a big shit like a Huge uh, collapse and, and twist, so on. That it will probably handle the EN, the lower en glider easier.
0: What aspect of flying? I'm jumping here a little bit, but what what aspect of flying do you do you get most excited about? Do you do you most enjoy? Is it the is it the comps flying with your friends? Is it the league? Is it is it just flying around your home? Is it Waga? What, what do you like the best?
1: I like everything. So I and I I don't like too much of, of of one thing. So that means after one week of competition flying, I, I I'm done with it. I don't like competition flying anymore. So then I I rather walk up to 3 4 hours somewhere in the mountain. I take off there early in the morning first sunlight and I can do a soaring session. So this is crazy. I mean last time one of my best flights was um, in summer, we walked up with Jerome to uh, Kandersdek, my hometown, uh, and we slept there during the night. And in the morning at 7, the wind was quite strong. So we took off. I took off with the GTO and I was able to soar up uh, more than 1,000 meters. Hmm. So I was on this mountain that you usually, it's not easy to climb up during the day when, when there are thermals, but I think never, no one ever soared up this hill, hmm. this mountain. So this was crazy because I was there at nine o'clock in the morning, and I was like, "What the hell is going on?" So this was crazy. But also, I mean, when I can go and with no shoes in the sand, soaring somewhere and do some workout, this is crazy as well. This is awesome.
0: When I was when I was a very early pilot, that just reminded me of uh, what's it called, the Sh- the Shiltorn, I believe, over in Lakerbad. You know, the 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 James yeah. Bond thing at the top. Uh, My my buddy and I were were very low hours pilot. We were just learning how to do cross country and, and, uh, and he'd been up there and and flown off and really wanted to show it to me. And it's outrageous, expensive, you know, to go up there. We went up and (laughs) and the the cloud was, was below the peak tops and there was almost no wind. You know, it's quite a committing forward up there with all that talus and you're just throwing yourself off into oblivion. And, and we, and we, we made it back to interlocking, which is nothing. It's like 40 K, the yeah. whole you know it, yeah i think we took off at you know 9am or 8:30 whenever they opened that thing we were first up and it's just <laughs> those kind of flights really they stay with you don't they i mean they, it doesn't have to be the biggest or the best it has you know it's just, exactly do i uh I, I sense you've got this hike and fly bug do i do i uh do i see an x alps in your future
1: yeah also I, I thought a lot about it but um for me it's uh time wise and money wise no not, not an option at the moment yeah so I don't have enough time to train and also don't have enough money to to run this thing so what what I see now is you know it, it's for me it's uh, I'm a really competitive pilot or person as well so if I do something uh, I I'd like to push to to what is possible and um then when when I see now with, two of my good friends do like um krigel Maurer or uh, Aaron mm. and they only do paragliding. So they trade every day. They, uh, they fly every day. They, w- what they do is crazy and I don't have the time and not the money to do the same. And then I would be disappointed in myself if I, if I will end up, yeah, three or four days later than they are. <laughs>
0: mm. Mm. Yeah. They, they, uh, I don't know. Maybe this isn't even a fair question, but it's, it's, it's interesting. So no, I, I want to ask you anyway, it's no sweat, no non Swiss has ever won the X Alps. And part of that's kind of unfair because you have Kriegel who's just in a completely different <laughs> category than what he's won four of them already. But, um, you know, you guys, you know, like as you as you said this year, um uh, you know the Swiss team isn't dominating this year. It's been the French and you know, that kinda shifts back and forth depending on wings and training and luck and mm-hmm. all the things we've already pointed out. But what is it about the Swiss and the Ex Alps?
1: Hmm. Difficult to say. One guess could be that uh that the conditions in Austria and Switzerland it's two thirds of, of the distance you have to do? Mm-hmm. Probably uh it's the same condition as in switzerland so it's for us maybe easier to fly in these conditions so we know better where to go
0: Just just one explanation i i i don't know yeah. so it's kind of like home home court advantage you were talking about earlier that you know like when you went down to san andre which I, i've only flown there a little bit but the mm. the french really kind of had an advantage there because it's just such a unique I mean all the alps have their own little unique unique quirks mm-hmm. don't they but I I that makes sense so a little bit more of a home field advantage maybe for for a good section of the course
1: probably yes yeah yeah uh-huh
0: oh, cool Mickey this is great I really appreciate it is there anything you'd like to uh to add before we wind things down here oh I know I know I really wanted to ask you this um when you when you think back to your when you started, you know, when you were 15 with your dad back in uh-huh. 2003, or maybe just that first kind of year or two, what advice do you wish you would have received back then, or something that maybe uh, you didn't get or you didn't maybe heed? You know, looking back, you, you haven't had any personal injuries, but you've seen some. Is there is there been any, any been is there ever been any kind of like, man, I wish I would have done that differently? Uh
1: whew no flying wise i could not say no for me it it worked out really good maybe if there are other young pilots um i can only suggest not to fly every day (laughs) because uh yeah for me it was then not so easy because um i i dropped all the other hobbies and also with the friends in school that was also not so easy because on the weekends when it's good weather you go out and I think what I can only say to to all pilots, what is the most important is that that you have fun when when you are flying, and as soon as as you as it's not fun anymore and you're not enjoying your flight, you have to go to land because then uh, either conditions are not nice anymore or yeah. So it, this is the most important to have fun when you fly.
0: Great. Well, that's a, that's a perfect ending. Uh, let's end it on that. Oh, you know what I'd love to do? Actually, uh, I used to, I used to end all these shows with, uh, with the Proust questionnaire, which is, I, I find endlessly entertaining. So these are just a uh, little, little quick questions. That I'll fire at you, answer them however you want. You don't have to, if you don't want to, you don't have to, but uh, we'll end it on that. Sure, Thanks, sure. Uh, what is your favorite word? Amazing. Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) Amazing is amazing. Uh, And your your least favorite word? Uh,
1: It's not possible. Ah, or not? How you say? It's like impossible. I'm sure. Yeah, impossible. Yeah. Uh,
0: What turns you on? What turns you off?
1: Nice girls turn me off. On (laughs) and um, sorry, (laughs) misspelling. (laughs) And what turns me off? Not nice girls. Uh, bad flying. Ah, yeah, okay. No, there you no, go. I can. I cannot say that no. there are no. There are no uh, bad-looking girls.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Ooh, good answer, dude. Good answer. Your, your parents would be proud. <laughs> uh, uh, yes. Uh, what sound or noise do you love, and what sound or noise do you well hates a powerful word, but do you not like?
1: Um, I like the 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 noise of wind quite a lot. Hmm. So. When I'm not flying, for example, when I'm somewhere in a, in a forest and I hear the sound of of wind, it's nice. Um, I don't like the sound of trains when they pass by.
0: Okay, gotcha. Uh, what is your favorite curse word? What's that? What's your favorite swear word? Shit. Ah, good one. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt?
1: Mm um like a doctor, I would say. Like medicine.
0: Ah, okay. Uh and what profession would you not like to do?
1: Oh. Yeah, I don't want to hurt someone's feelings, but um <laughs> oh. No uh so like I I don't like to clean the um how do you say where the wastewater is going? Sewer. Yeah, probably this one. Yeah, this that would
0: I, that'd be rough. I
1: hate the smell.
0: <laughs> that, would, that would be rough. Okay, final one, buddy, and then you're off the hook, and you know, I'll let you go fly for the day. Thank you again for doing this. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
1: Welcome. I, I'll i let you in, even though I know what you did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Come on in, Mickey. There's a space for you. <laughs>
1: Do it for you. Do it for you. <laughs> Perfect. Buddy. All the stickers are here as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Perfect. Love it. Mickey, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. That was, uh, that was a real honor to get to talk to you. I hope we get to see each other at CloudBase here again shortly. And uh, have fun in Korea. I hope you best of luck with developing your new wings. And uh, give my best to Jim.
1: Yeah, Thank you very much. And I uh, hope to see you soon.
0: All right, buddy. Love to see you too. <laughs> Bye-bye. Cheers, man. Bye. No mind, no well i hope you enjoyed that cool conversation with a very cool cat uh hope i get to spend some time with mickey here sh- soon at cloud base uh, as again, at the top of the show, a uh, reminder that I'm taking questions for Bill Belcourt. Just shoot me an email via mayhem.com or uh, hit me up on Facebook or wherever you like to communicate, and I'll get those down in front of Bill here right after the holidays. i uh, got a great talk coming up for you uh, in two weeks with Russ Ogden. You guys are going to love this. The... Uh, Jedi at Ozone and uh, an incredible PwC pilot, incredible guy. Uh, he, we actually actually brought a lot of your questions to him and always such a treat to hear Russ's uh, ideas on, on flying and flying well. As always, all we ask for is a buck a show. If you got something out of this one or one of the previous episodes, in fact, the last episode with Larry Tudor, uh, Legend Hang Glider, probably the most popular show we've had thus far, that one just got, went crazy all over the interwebs. Uh, if you haven't listened to that one, you have to. Some of those stories are just phenomenal. But yeah, if you got something out of this one or one of the previous shows, uh, send us a buck. You can do that from the website cloudbasedmayhem.com. Uh, that will keep the show alive. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And we will see you on the next one. Cheers.